Hi, it's Paul here. We recorded this week's show just a few hours before we heard the sad news of Nicky Lauda's passing. Nicky, of course, was a absolute legend in Formula One and various other forms of motorsport as well, winning three World Drivers' Championships, battling back from life-threatening injuries to carry on his racing career, and um, to younger fans he'll be remembered as uh, the non-executive chairman of Mercedes who worked along with Toto Wolff to make the team what they are. All of us on the Three Legs Four Wheels team would like to pass on our condolences to Nicky Lauda's family and uh, we all think that he will be sorely missed in the paddock and by the F1 world in general. Now here's this week's show. Hi and welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Dan, Chris, Lee. You nearly forgot then, didn't you? Uh, I it, we're in a different order on the table to how we used to be a long time ago, and yeah, it's late. <laughs> <laughs> it's only late because we're recording in several sections tonight. Um, I think we'll start off with the first pre-recorded bit. Yeah, uh, we have a guest this week. Yes, we do, and it's time for a jump cut. And we are here with our regular technical guest, Craig Scarborough. Welcome along, Craig. Hi guys, how are you all doing? Very well, Very how good, are you? Thanks, Thanks, Pretty good, how's, how's things with you? Uh, well, everything's rosy in my garden, to be honest, it's it's all good, I'm, I'm enjoying the season, I'm enjoying the, uh, the the clement weather that we're having in England at the moment, and uh, we've got some interesting races coming up, so it, it was good. Definitely. Um, I guess we're at the start of the upgrade season now, with, um, with F1 hitting Europe, and the Barcelona test going on last week. Um... Any sort of early feelings on teams that have got things right? Well, that's uh, <laughs> it's pretty tricky actually at the moment. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I was really looking forward to Spain um, because, as you say, it's like the, the start of the big upgrades, and there really weren't the the level of upgrades that I was expecting. Bearing in mind we've had the regulation change this year, I thought everyone would come on with a really big step, but there was probably only. McLaren, Haas, I mean, there were probably only two big, big updates that we saw. Everyone else had just had bits and pieces. So um, it's tricky, isn't it? Because this year, I think as much as we've had the regulation change, which has been a big impact for the team on the on the aero side, I think the bigger impact is actually these new tyres um, with the common construction, the change in compounds, and obviously the thinner the thinner tread. And I think everybody is at a slightly different stage with them in trying to understand what the hell is going on. And, you know, there's a few winners out there. I think Mercedes very much are the, you know, the winners out there. And, you know, they've never necessarily been the team with the greatest of tyre management, but they seem to have kind of hit the sweet spot with the tyres more so than anybody else. Um, And I think Ferrari, obviously, clearly one of the losers in that, as are Haas, who are really kind of struggling. Um, and in amongst all of that, you've kind of got McLaren that have kind of sneaked through from nowhere to um, looking maybe not quite best of the rest, but certainly a, a very consistent um, sort of front runner in the midfield. So it has all kind of changed about this year, hasn't it? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, one, one thing that I wanted to ask early um, is the problems that Ferrari have been having that have made them bring the new upgraded engine in. 
two race two races early. Um, mm. Are they are they really that far down on power that they have that the now panicking? I, yeah, that was a very strange um, sort of tactic from Ferrari because obviously, you know, each engine's got to do about seven races, and we're not that level into the championship. You know, that engine would due to have arrived for Canada, which is clearly you know one of the, the first big horsepower circuit on the on the calendar. So why Ferrari have with for all of the problems that they have at the moment? chose to introduce a new um it was just the v6 engine it was none of the other parts around it um allied with some shell fuels and lubricants to give them a bit of power boost just seemed a bit odd and you know we know ferrari have got plenty of power uh, because they've still got the, the highest top speed but you know seem to be able to run quite a bit of downforce in comparison to everyone else when we saw that particularly at um uh baku wasn't it uh, they have one of the biggest rear wings, but still they were the quickest out there. Um, so I don't think Ferrari's problem is horsepower. Um, you know, Ferrari's problems lay very much with the tyres and how the car uses them. And I don't think horsepower is going to solve <laughs> solve that problem. I mean, it's, it's, to be honest, it's never a bad thing. You, you know, you, <laughs> if you can have more power, you, know, you, you would take it. But, um, yeah, it's a strange, strange way for Ferrari to use their resources to bring an engine on two races early, which is quite a big step. You know, I mean, that's effectively almost a month of development that has been cut short on that version of the engine. Um, so uh, it's, it's a little bit strange. And I don't really have an answer to why Ferrari thought that the PU was the most important thing over um, chassis and aero. Do you think they'll be using the new engine at Monaco, or will they stick with the older one that's got less power because the power matters less there? I mean, it, it sounds like the common sense thing is they would put the old engine back in. Um, and, you know, I think we, is for, they said it had a, an increase in horsepower, and obviously you, you can't really judge that very well, despite all of the, uh, the guys from Italy in the magazines and on Twitter saying exactly how much power it had extra which normally uh, figures just plucked out of the air. So, yes, yeah, so it would make sense to put the other power unit back in for Monaco uh, and save the mileage on the, uh, the big power one for uh, Canada uh, and some of the summer races. Obviously, we go to Austria, I think, straight after, if I can remember the calendar, and Silverstone's not far behind as well. So you've got lots of you know very power-sensitive circuits coming up. And uh, you know that second engine needs to run at all of those races um so unless they want to take penalties later in the year they're gonna to have to get some more mileage out of the original engine that was obviously installed at melbourne as running up until um spanish grand prix do you think ferrari might be doing the like the old ferrari thing of they've got problems so you just try and throw more horsepower at the car um i don't think so um I'm, I'm i'm a bit confused with where ferrari are at in terms of strategy i mean i've got quite a lot of respect for uh, uh matteo benotto their um our team principal um uh who was their technical director and he doesn't strike me as a typically ferrari italian kind of bad reactions um but equally you don't feel that he's Got a, it's almost like he hasn't got a grasp of the situation. I know, obviously, what you say to the press is very different to what you're thinking in your head or you're talking to your team. But we haven't had this feeling, you know, it was quite clear. We probably had inklings at, at testing, but certainly after Melbourne, I think everyone kind of knew where Ferrari's strengths and weaknesses were. And they haven't really done a lot to, to rectify them. So 
I again, I'm at a little bit of a loss to understand what their tactics are, whether they are truly sticking their head in the sand or, um, you know, they've just got a bit of a PR spin going on at the moment and saying, well, you know, we've got a new engine or we've got to go away and work out, you know, what we need to do to this car. Um, but, you know, five races in, they really, <laughs> you know, everyone else was kind of on on the case. I, I failed to believe that Ferrari were, you know, in the dark and don't understand what's going on. So it could just be the, uh, you know, the, the PR limitations, which you have to say is something that um, Binotto isn't great at. I think he's probably would naturally be a little bit too honest and feels that he's better saying nothing um, than actually offering his genuine opinion. Um, you know, at races when you know, clearly these first five races have been an absolute disaster for Ferrari in terms of you know getting the results in. Um, do you think Ferrari would have been in a better place now if they'd have kept Kimi for another year, just to take to take the, this whole driver issue they've got out because they'd just be concentrating on Sebastian like they usually would do, um, which would like give them more time to try and work out what's going on with the car, but. That they just seem to spend races constantly trying to work out how to keep a car in between their two drivers. So would Ferrari be quicker if they had a slower driver? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, you don't, I mean, it's very hard to say. I mean, would Kimi uh, have liked this year's car? You know, it's very balanced, um, which you know obviously makes it much easier to drive. So he probably would have been quite comfortable in the car this year. Um, and I think the only benefit would be, as you say, he's you know sort of quite happy to roll over and take the instructions from Ferrari, uh, whatever they may be. Um, but yeah, again, you know their their race tactics. I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, I think a lot of people are pointing, you know, um, the finger at Ferrari quite hard, and I don't know if that's necessarily fair because you know if you're if you've got one driver that's catching up with another driver, um, but unable to pass with DRS. But it suggests then that the only reason they're able to actually keep up with the car in front is because of DRS along the straight, allowing them just to kind of just close up that little bit and then probably losing a bit of time around the back of the circuit. So, um, you know, I think Ferrari are getting a bit of a bad rap. And I think there is also at the moment a little bit of, uh, you know, everything must be done for Leclerc. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But I think a lot of people think that perhaps even you know Vettel should be, um, you know, uh, should should be rolling over more than Leclerc was because let's face it, Leclerc has a few times refused to move over for Vettel and vice versa. So um, you know, it's a really difficult situation there, isn't it? Um, I don't think just because someone's closed up a little bit in a race, it's reason necessarily to swap positions. Um, you know, the Ferrari obviously got a lot more data than we have, but. Um, I think what we have found is that when that situation has come up, they've just left it that little bit too long to uh, make a decision. Um, and then thereafter, you know, one of the drivers, invariably Leclerc in his last few races, has been given a strategy that was, you know, never going to work well for him. And invariably, one of them loses out to a Red Bull through the race. So Ferrari aren't very snappy in that. But equally, I think there's, there's probably a little bit too much criticism of Ferrari feeling that they have to forever let Leclerc through um, whenever he needs to um, uh, during a race. But uh, to be honest, they should be, you know, they should be on pole position and leading the races. They, you know, there shouldn't be any question about where Ferrari are just to kind of hopefully try and pick up a podium at a race. I mean, it's ridiculous. They they really should be so much further up the road. 
I mean, they've had a, they've had a chance for well a win in Bahrain if it hadn't been for the uh, control electronics failing. Um, exactly. Yes. So you know, it's it's bizarrely as it sounds with Mercedes, even though they've had five one-two finishes, they haven't earned all five of them. You know, it was, it was, it no, was, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. And you know, we've had a lot of odd situations through some of these races as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know Ferrari should have had at least one win in the bag, as you say. But um, I, I think, you know, they, I think they should be a lot more competitive than they are because the car is kind of almost there. It just, you know, it just, it, you know, it clearly worked very, very well in qualifying early in the year. Um, it worked very well in, in the heat of Bahrain, but they just can't seem to be able to switch that on at other circuits. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, if you ask 100 people, you'll get 100 different responses as to what the problem is, um, depending on how technical they are. Um, and I think to try and pinpoint where Ferrari's issues are, it's, you know, it's very easy to point at something that looks different. Um, but, you know, I think fundamentally it's getting these tyres to work and uh, particularly in the race. Um, and Ferrari aren't alone in struggling with those this year. Yeah, what it, what is the main difference with um, with the tyres this year? Is it um, is it a higher operating temperature that they need, or there's, there's a few there's a few changes. First of all, you have the, the thin gauge, which basically means the tyres are already half worn out in terms of tread depth than they were last year. Uh, and what that means is the the if you can imagine the the strip of rubber that forms the tread that moves. Um, like um, almost like a, when you're rubbing a pencil rubber over a piece of paper, actually squidges. And that squidge of the, the tread block actually creates heat in the tyre. So when you've got less tread block to squidge, squidge around, you, the tyre naturally creates less heat itself, which means the tyres are quite tricky to get into the right operating range. Also this year, they've made the change where the uh, rear tyre warmers have had their temperature turned down by 20 degrees. So already out of the box um the rear tires aren't up to the right working temperature very quickly and a lot of teams have struggled to be able to get the heat into the tires without too much sliding and what you found with you know teams like williams uh, and haas where the tire temperature literally just goes straight through the working range and straight out to the hot end of the range and that does as, as a bad a job of getting the tire to work as running them too cold so everyone's sort of struggling. But what's unusual um, with the tyres this year is normally if someone's good in qualifying and bad in the race, it's because they're working the tyre too hard. But what you're actually finding is that the opposite situation is happening with lots of teams where, you know, they're um, bad in qualifying and bad in the race. And it's like, oh, that doesn't make sense, really. Surely it should be the other way around. Uh, you know, Haas in particular have had these issues. And I think everyone's maybe one of the reasons we've not seen these big kind of B specification updates is that everyone's still just trying to tweak their baseline setup to get these damn tyres to work for them. So I think it may be a bit later in the year before we start to see the big aero changes because obviously if you change too much too quickly, you just lose where you are completely. Um, so, you know, these tyres are tricky and, uh, you know, I, I've yet to meet an engineer uh, at a team that really likes Pirelli tyres um, because they're just so difficult to work with in comparison to you know, previous tyre suppliers to uh, Formula One and other categories. Is that, is that a good thing, really, because it, it gives the teams more to work on and it's not just a case of stick the tyres on and we know what they're going to do? And I, th- I think, in some ways, I quite like the unpredictability of 
of that. Because... It, I think there, again, this, 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 therein lies one of the big questions of Formula One is like, what do you want the performance to be about? Do you want it to be a, you know, a category where people are trying to get tyres to work and, you know, race pace is largely dictated by how the tyres are going to work out. And if you see, you know, particularly at the top three teams, their race pace is really, really similar. And by the end of the race, they're all just within a few seconds of each other. And that's not because the cars are all really equal in base performance. It's because the tyres can only go so fast for a race and you haven't really got much to do with strategy. So, yeah, I mean, I think the unpredictability um, is can be interesting. But equally, I think it can kind of detract from the show. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's what people want in Formula One, if it is the, you know, faffing about with the tyres. Uh, to kind of cover up other issues with the you know the show that the uh, the formula produces. I think in an ideal world, if the cars were like bunched up enough where they could race each other and they could get close to each other without cooking their tires, you just want tires that lasted the whole race, wouldn't you? You know, you just you could t- well, take that I away. Think, then I think, I think the strategy aspect of you know tire changes is is quite interesting, and I think it. it does truly add to the show so i think if you could have a tire that you could absolutely hammer for a third of the race um or maybe go easy with them in their last half of the race um without you know as you say the overheating and all the weird stuff that goes on with pirellis um then i think we would end up with you know quite quite a racy formula with you know assuming that the error was because then some people were two stop some would three stop um, you know, you can have like the Perez style kind of coast to uh, through the race and get it that done that way, or the sort of the Schumacher flat out. Just give me more tyres and I'll go flat out again. Sort of that approach. I think that that variability is, I think, what we want in the formula, but not the. Uh, suddenly, we found that everyone's finding that even the mediums going off you know, really quickly, and so we're all going to have to just cruise around for most of the race and not really get any racing done. Mm. Um, that was the other thing I was going to ask about tyres. I, I don't know if the, I don't know if this is my imagination or not, but <coughs> God, pardon me. Are they are the tyres actually shedding more rubber this season? Because it looks like um, the marbles coming off the tyres are a lot bigger than they have been previously. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. I, I haven't. I haven't noticed it. Um, and thinking about what they've done with the tread, I'd be surprised if that was the case. But, yeah, maybe you're right. Again, I've not really looked at it very closely. I've not really heard anyone else commenting about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the jury's out on that one for me. Oh, I'll, keep, I'll keep an eye out on that on the next couple of races. Um, the, the great Mercedes rear wing debate with the uh, serrated edge. Um, what did that do for them? Because everyone seemed to be a little bit confused when they, uh, when they launched that. Yeah, that was it. Was a bit of a bit of a sort of a flying visit, wasn't it? Um, it's um, it's all sort of known sort of technology. We've seen it racing in the past, and what happens is, as air flows under the rear wing, it goes from being nice and smooth. You get nice layers of airflow going neatly under the wing, and that's called laminar flow. And then at some point, as the wing, as the, the air pressure drops behind the wing, as the wing kind of sweeps up the airflow starts to separate and it can either separate fully, which is like really bad for performance. That's when the wing stalls. That's like what people were doing with the F duct and with some of the clever rear wings they had a few years ago. Was that Williams's problem last year? 
Exactly. But there does come a point where the airflow stops being laminar and actually becomes turbulent, uh, and what they call the transition point. Um, and that, st- I mean, the airflow still works, even though rather than it being laminar, it's a little bit more turbulent against the wing surface. But that, the point in which that change happens can be a little bit variable and not necessarily predictable, especially when you've got DRS opening and closing the rear flap. So if you've got all these little edges, all these little serrations, what that does is it forces it to go from laminar to turbulent uh, in a more predictable way so that when DRS closes or when you know the wing is moving about around the circuit and the airflow perhaps isn't absolutely ideal, you get slightly more consistent rear wing uh, performance. Um, you know, most people don't really bother with it. And, um, you know, Mercedes have played with it a lot over the past four or five years. I've seen it sort of come and go in various forms. So, again, maybe that was just something they were suffering with at a couple of tracks, thought that would help them. I mean, again, I wouldn't be surprised to see it again a bit later in the year if they are having some stability issues with the car. But, um, again, it's just one of those little kind of aero tweaks that uh, teams kind of pull out of the bag occasionally just to um, just give them a little bit more performance. Just for a little tweak, it just it just seemed very very noticeable because I mean a lot of the times when teams have made a small adjustment, um, mm. you, you can't re- you can't really see it just from a sort of casual look. But that that was one of the most blatant ones that I've seen in quite a it long is time. A, if you can imagine the amount of work it must be to mould a rear wing edge with those little serrations on because they're not cut in, they're moulded in. It's like <laughs> the carbon <laughs> shop must be rolling their eyes with the designer comes down with the drawing. It's like guess what we're gonna do. Are you not planning on going home early any point this week, are you? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, um, I call it, you know, I, I suppose it's, it's a little bit um, unfair to call it a little tweak. Obviously, it's a big job for them, but, um, you know, the, the performance the resulting from that isn't necessarily um, a huge amount. But as you say, a lot of the changes, you know, when I speak to some of the engineers and they say, oh, yeah, we've got all these new parts, but um, unless you can overlay the CAD from one to the other or the guys point it out to you, you know, with a naked eye, you can't see half these changes. So even though the, the Mercedes wing is, you know, a big piece of work and um, has a small effect, some of these very subtle geometry changes that we never see still need entirely new rear wing moulds made for um, the the parts, and that's not no less hard work for the uh, you know, the manufacturing side of the uh, teams to uh, keep up with the uh, demands from the aero departments. A lot's been made in the uh, mainstream media about the small changes that Mercedes made to the front wing and barge boards for Barcelona. Some mm-hmm. I think I think it was Sky said that it was uh, it was worth roughly 0.4 of a second. That seems an awful lot from a little tweak to the barge boards. Um, what exactly did they do yeah. around that area in order to give themselves that much performance? Because when you look at the qualifying times, it seemed to be roughly about four tenths. Um, I mean, that sounds a hell. Of, I mean, you're right. It sounds a hell of a lot of performance. Mercedes made quite a few little changes to the uh, to the uh, the car, but it's. What um, what uh, James Allison describes as aero porn. It's like little these little visit visual changes that doesn't make a big difference, but of course we will get very excited when we see them. So the key change was on the the front wing, and Mercedes have actually copied a Red Bull or an idea that Red Bull have already come up with. I don't know if they copied it, but it's certainly Red Bull were first out of the bag with it. And the regulation change for this year says that if you slice the front wing. Um, along its centre line, at any point, you can only have five wing elements. Um, 
But in the, the that first bit of the wing, when it goes from the very flat middle section, then it starts to arch up, which is what we call the Y250 area, which is this big key and flow that goes down the yeah. car. Um, you want that to be really the wing to be really aggressive there, and you want lots of edges to kind of get this vortex spinning really powerfully back through the car. Um, but with only five elements, you're restricted. So what they've done is they've actually shortened the rearmost piece of wing, the rearmost flap, a little bit shorter. And then the one in front of it, they've cut a little extra notch into it. So still, when you slice it through, because of the extra notch, you get that five elements, um, because there's not the rearmost piece uh, overlapping. But when you then cut across the next bit, when that notch finishes and the rearmost flap starts again, uh, again, you've got five elements. But when you actually look at the wing, you can count six elements flicking the airflow up. So it's a very clever little idea to beat the regulations. Um, completely legal. It's just one of those little odd geometry things that teams work out. Um, so that would be quite influential because they're getting a slightly stronger Y250 effect. Um, back through the barge boards, the changes were much more subtle. I think they just um, they changed the angle of one of the little sort of the boomerang wings that kind of stick out the barge boards um, and added a little extra element below one of them. So I think there was two and they ended up being three, if I can remember off the top of my head now. That would have been perhaps less influential. It's just you know moving in the flows into exactly the right place that they need them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think point four sounds a lot from that level of change, and I didn't see much else necessarily change on the Mercedes in Spain, which was you know, something of a surprise because they tend to bring a really big upgrade to the Spanish Grand Prix each year, which tends to stick to the car for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that, you know, that, that 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 would have improved it. But equally, I think everyone else was bringing, you know, a few tenths to their car with their parts anyway. So, again, I think people are getting a little bit excited and jumping back on the Mercedes bandwagon and saying, you know, how great everything they do is. When, if we remember back in testing, so many people were, uh, you know, very much off the wagon uh, with Mercedes and saying that they've got everything wrong and they need to redesign their car. Um, and their whole philosophy. So um, you know, you've got to be a little bit wary of some of those comments. But yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, Mercedes have proven it's past what twenty fourteen was that five years now. Crikey, um, have been very good with their in season development. You know, they're very good at engineering the car to get it to do what they want. And even when you know uh, they start the car with the uh, when the car's not quite where they want it to be, or if during mid-season they start to come up with problems, they're very quick to engineer those issues and out. So they really are sort of fantastic in that regard. Um, and uh, you know, they, they, yeah, the team has its weaknesses. Every team has its weaknesses, but I think that's something that they've worked quite well on. In um, you know, if they have got a problem, they're quite really quick to sort it out. But I think Ferrari have proven to be quite the opposite. You know, whatever they come with out of the blocks tends to fade through the season rather than, you know, redeveloping strongly. And again, if we look at the Ferrari at uh, Spain, uh, their updates were very minimal. I mean, I seem to remember it was just a little aspect to the front wing, which, you know, again, is influential, but isn't, you know, certainly part of any major upgrade package that we would have expected for them to bring, particularly, you know, bearing in mind the performance of where their car is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, are we going to see at any point soon a sizable Ferrari Aero upgrade, or are they just going to? Is it just going to be little little tweaks until they realise that it's too late and then chuck everything in the wrong direction? 
Well, a bit, yes. a bit, a bit like that, uh, a bit like strategy for getting off the line. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the, um, yeah, the kind of the, the, the critical questions of Ferrari at the moment. Um, I think again, a lot of people are pointing at like this very different front wing and going, "Well, that's clearly the problem." Um, and I, I don't believe it is. Um, but having said that, I think you know Ferrari do need to do some stuff with the front suspension, um, with the uh, with the front aero as well, because the front end of that car just isn't working. I mean, it was evident through sector three and testing. It was you know, abundantly evident by the time we got to. Um, Melbourne, and we actually got some data back from the FIA on corner performance, and it's like, oh, crikey, yeah, Ferrari are really struggling slow and the uh, medium speed corners, uh, and that means it's a mix of kind of mechanical grip and it's a mix of aero grip as well. So it's not just a, a simple change, but Ferrari have got a big piece of work to do to work out exactly what they need to change. It's not just about changing it. Out. It's, it's so they could they could be in a bit of trouble. Oh, they could be in a bit of trouble come Monaco then. Sorry, I missed that. Say again. So, uh, they could be in a bit of trouble come Monaco. Then I'd have thought. Uh, Monaco is looking absolutely desperate for. I mean, to be honest, I mean, there's not a circuit where Ferrari can go very well at because Monaco is all slow speed corners. We then go to Canada, which is high speed, which starts to play to Ferrari's strengths. But obviously, it's got lots of very low speed corners. It's very difficult with the tyres, and it's very cold typically in, in Canada. So if Canada doesn't look great. Then we go to uh, Austria, and again, they've not been very good in the high-speed corners. Only really, only very, very fast corners where you're not aero limited, uh, so you're not traction limited at all. Um, so you think, well, hold on, what, what, what circuit would suit Ferrari? Probably Indianapolis. I mean, might be the only one I can think of. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and as you know, that's quite difficult for any Formula One team, as it's been sadly <laughs> demonstrated speak um so yes i mean ferrari really are in quite dire straits and you know they haven't got that kind of joker where they think well at least we can get a great result here because i don't think that's necessarily the case um so that you know they've really got to find the right sort of fix and that's going to be difficult for them and you know the championship's marching on and um you know you, you see you've seen how mercedes have been in years past when they get a bit of uh, competition, you know, they're very, as I say, they're very quick to respond, and um, Ferrari are going to have to not just catch Mercedes, but they're going to have to overtake them and overtake them for a big chunk of the mid-season. So, you know, if they're not winning in Austria and Germany and Silverstone, then really the championship is almost definitely lost to them. Um, they have to go and they scratch their heads and decide what they, you know what they need to do for uh, 2020. Sacri- sacrifice another team principle, that kind of thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, again, this is the problem. I mean, I, I you, know, you, you hear the, the sort of the uh, the people calling for Benotto's head after um, the Spanish Grand Prix, and it's like, you know, I, I think worked. I think maybe maybe the guy needs to go back to being the technical director and not trying to run the whole show. Uh, I think that would be the better thing than just sacking him because I think they sacked him. They're kind of running out of of heads at that team now because um, you know you've got Laura Miki's. Um, if that's how you pronounce his name, I'm never quite sure how you pronounce his surname. Um, obviously, fresh from the FIA, he, you know, he potentially could be uh, a de facto uh, team principal. He could be the de facto technical director. But I think, you know, Ferrari, you know, should stop throwing out all of these good people just because of that, you know, some bad decisions and try and get a bit of direction put back in the team. I think that's really where they are at the moment. 
Do you think they're under more threat of being caught by Red Bull than they are of catching Mercedes? Um, I think it's hard to say. I mean, I think the Ferrari is fundamentally a quicker car than the Red Bull, but Red Bull are quite being very good with their um, uh, race strategy. They've been very obviously very good with the tyres as always, you know, leading to that. Um, and uh, you know, you've got to say that you know the, the, the Verstappen, Red Bull, and Honda package is, is looking quite sweet during the races. Gasly is obviously you know kind of just stepping his way into the team. And obviously, as we we know, these tyres are quite difficult, and I think the, the Red Bull has been quite difficult this year. Uh, Verstappen, someone that would you know could drive it with three wheels, uh, one missing. Uh, I think Gasly is obviously someone that needs you know, you know, to have it all working quite nicely before he's got the confidence and we get him there. So, yeah, so, you know, potentially championship-wise, even if Ferrari <laughs> have the better car, um, you know, uh, it, it's where you stand at the end of the race. And Ferrari really aren't looking like the team that are going to uh, get it all together uh, over the next few races. So, yeah, I think that really is a potential that Red Bull and Verstappen could grab... Uh, you know, the constructors and third in the uh, drivers' championships is entirely possible. We'll probably see a hell of a lot of heads rolling if that happens. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about. Yes. I think the I think the Italian press will probably have a few days. Yeah. <laughs> if they're out of, if are out of contention by Monza, I'm, I'm going to learn Italian just to read what it says in Gazzetta della Sport. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier about McLaren bringing a lot of upgrades with them to uh, to Spain. Can you sort of take us through what um, what they had? In um, so yes, yeah, so McLaren probably. I think uh, in layman terms, I mean. If we think back to testing and the second week of testing, Mercedes came with a very different looking car. There was loads of bits that were different. It was the wing, uh, the barge boards, all these different aspects. But that seemed to us at the time as a big change to the car. But it was very much just working on the same kind of overriding aero philosophy. So how you load the front wing, how you work barge boards and everything else. Mercedes came to Spain with a car that had the same level of changes in terms of the number of parts that were changed but it wasn't just that they changed all these bits that they've really gone completely in a different direction on the aero philosophy and this goes back as we've sort of said you know throughout the year so far about the front wing so you have the the ferrari uh, alfa romeo toro rosso wing which is very flat out by the front tire and then kind of leans up as it goes inboard to be quite a big wing just inside the front tire and then obviously flattens back down towards the middle and that's what we call a, an inboard loaded front wing so what that one's doing is it's trying to pull the wing away from the front wing end plate by the tire so that the end plate can work much better at managing the the airflow that goes pushes the, the front tire wake away from the rest of the car the downside with that is that you've got slightly more wing in front of the barge board so the barge boards are, get slightly better as good at airflow reaching them so you know there's a there's a trade-off then and mercedes uh, sorry mclaren before that had gone for what is effectively the mercedes red bull philosophy which is called a outboard loaded wing so the wing is steepest out by the end plate in front of the front tire which does much less to manage the flow going outside around the front tire but because you have a less wing um inboard you get better airflow to the barge board so the barge boards do more of that work and both solutions have their pros and cons and everyone would say one is better than the other and one's got more potential than the other um but it's kind of swings and roundabouts at this stage of the regulations which one is the actual better one 
Um, but Mercedes, uh, sorry, McLaren have switched from the uh, Mercedes spec to the kind of the Ferrari spec, which is a, a huge change. Now, bearing in mind, as I sort of said earlier, McLaren have looked pretty good this year. You know, as good as I think we've ever seen them out of the blocks for almost as long as I can almost remember um, when they actually had a good car in the first sort of you know handful of races. So this is kind of a big risk for them because does that change mean that they lose some understanding of the car, that the car's going to work in a slightly different way, particularly with the tyres, and that's going to kind of handicap their performance. So we have to kind of keep an eye on them. So, um, you know, there was the, the front wing had changed, the, the turning vanes under the nose had changed, the barge boards had changed, aspects of the floor had changed, pretty much everything all the way to the back of the car, even the rear wing was different. So it was a huge change for them. Um, I'm trying to remember where they where they finished up in Spain. I think, they had, again, they had a pretty solid weekend. Um, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they were both they both got into quality three, as I remember. Mm-hmm. But um, again, I'm, I'm not great for those stats. But oh, I, th- um, I think Saints fell out of quality, didn't he? Um, Did... Not Norris started tenth, but he um, yeah. gained a place because because uh, of penalties. Yeah. But yeah, Saints finished eighth, and Norris DNF'd mm. because he oh, well, right. he, yes. he, fi- he finished in Lanstrell's side pod. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, so I mean, you know, again, they had a pretty good performance there. So hopefully what they understood of the car pre uh, early in the season and what they understood of the aero package change meant that they felt confident they could make such a huge change. And, yeah, I think Spain showed that they didn't too, do too badly. We've got to remember that, um, you know, uh, Renault in particular had a pretty awful weekend in Spain. Um, so it does somewhat flatter them. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's brave stuff from McLaren, you have to say. And, uh, you know, all the better for it, it seems. When you consider how much money uh, Renault were putting into the project, wh- where are they? You know, sh- they should be further right up towards Mercedes than they are now. And what have they got wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Th- again, this is another one of these kind of perennial questions, isn't it? I mean, I think last year uh, they had a really strong year, and for all the sort of the Force India problems and the harsh performance, I think they ended up being. Uh, maybe uh, I think in, in championship terms, you could argue because because of the, the way the Force India changed for the year. But in terms of performance, you could probably say that they were the best of the rest last year. And that gave us a really strong feeling that over the winter that they would you know make that next step onwards. Because they've obviously been on a bit of a journey since Renault came back in and they've had to upscale what was very much a, a downscaled operation at Enstone. Um, you know, literally they were able to move entire departments into... Uh, or multiple departments into the area where just one department used to live, you know, as such as it was the kind of the crash they had. Uh, what was that? Was that 2013 when it all kind of went pear shaped for them over the so, winter? Yeah. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, yeah. I think it was around then, wasn't it? Um, we, we just, so, re- we yeah, just remember were... the truck saying, um, saying Lotus, if you look closely under the Renault stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think over that winter, literally everybody left the operation. Um, So they've been scaling back up and they've been doing a pretty good job. And when I saw the car launch this year and you saw that they've made more big steps in the sort of the design of the car and getting rid of pretty much lots of the little bits of legacy design that were sort of throughout the car, you thought, yes, this is the year they really kind of front up the midfield and they can start to kind of bite at the heels of uh, Renault, especially bearing in mind the power unit situation. But we've kind of gone back to where Renault were a couple of years, haven't we? You know, they're struggling with the car, and again, particularly with the tyres. 
So that is very kind of, you know, season specific. It's not necessarily part of the, you know, the trend that they've been going on. Um, but equally, you know, the power unit still isn't there, is it? I mean, you know, we, 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 we again, I think I've, I've said this to you guys before, you know, everyone berates Honda, but really they sh- everyone should be having a mm-hmm. serious look at Renault and thinking, yeah. you know, you've been in this sport, you know, continuously for so many years you had an extra year over honda with these power units yet still yours is probably at least equal least power probably now the least power um it's certainly the least reliable um last year they had trouble with um, with drivability uh packaging wise it doesn't still doesn't look like a great engine to package into uh the chassis and you just wonder you know where some of this direction is coming from um, and it, you know, as you say, the amount of money they're putting in, you know, what happens to Renault uh, in Paris pull the plug, which again is quite possible. They've got they've got uh, previous with that. They've got previous, and obviously, you know, with um, with uh, Carlos having his problems and you know no longer being at the helm, you know, there is that risk. Or do they start, you know, looking at the people that are heading up this operation? You know, you've got, you know, Cyril, uh, I think Bob Bell is a great pair of hands, uh, Mick Chester as well as a great pair of hands. But is this a little bit kind of Williams-esque? Do they need someone there that really is driven to deliver a, a race-winning team, which is really what yeah, their aim must be with their budget, with their resources? Um, um, so, you know, maybe personnel changes is, is, is what's needed. Um, because you just, again, you just don't get that feeling when you look at Renault that there isn't anyone there banging their hand on the desk going, look, this just isn't good enough. We must be winning. Um, and, you know, it's not going to happen this year, clearly. And, uh, you know, looking at where they have been over the past few races, um, you would question whether, you know, where they're going to end up in the championship. You know, they're not going to be the, the best of the rest. They could be behind Haas and McLaren. Um, and you know that's yeah, it's a pretty woeful position for them to be in. Bearing in mind where they were last year and where you know where, where they, their trend should be, you know, sort of setting them. I can't help thinking that uh, if they have, if, if they don't improve this year and they go into next year into a similar situation, it's going to be going into twenty twenty one that Renault might just decide enough's enough. Yeah, again, that's entirely possible. Um, and, you know, when you look at the sort of, you know, the, the, the potential team principles floating around, is there someone that you would want to parachute into Renault to do the job? I'm, I'm struggling to think of names that would be really good for that. You kind of want a Flavio figure back in, you know, a kind of uh, Sergio Marchione. Eric I'm going to take no crap. We're just going to get this done. <laughs> Whether you lot work for me, we like it or not, we're going to get there. Um, and, you know, I think a few, a few teams are kind of struggling for that lack of you know, strong, dictatorial, sadly, um, leadership. Bob Fernley's back on the market as of this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. I I don't know if he's the right person for that, but yeah, sadly. Um, And again, that was quite interesting, the reporting around that. It's like his contract finished with Indy. Uh, and it's like some people are saying he's been fired. Some people say his contract's up and he's left the team. Um, And McLaren going to continue to run an Indy team. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's it, it's a shame, but um, you know, I don't think it was the, the problems they had were through any issues with with Bob directly. You know, he seemed to be a fairly safe pair of hands and was getting the job done and had a, a huge operation set up. But you know, 
Indy is one of those um, races which you know really rewards experience and a fresh team. Even if you bring heads in from other teams um, with that experience, yeah, it's difficult to get that to the GL, especially in year one. So um, you know they really were up against it, weren't they? Yeah, it would it would have been interesting to see what would have um, what the car would have performed like if it had actually got through qualifying. Um, but we're not going to find out this year. I mean, it looked, well, I mean, it looked a handful constantly through qualifying, didn't it? Really, I mean, it, at no point did it look like that was a race winning car because it, it was dangerous just looked, at times. Like it a, it, well, yeah, it just didn't look like it was dialed in. And again, that's uh, that is all um, experience um, from you know, the entire team. Um, working together, so I think yeah, that that's where that's where the failure was. Um, do they keep do they keep at it for five years to get that experience built up? Because I think you know Fernando won't be around in a, in the years to come. Um, if if even um, this week, if he's kind of thrown it in uh, with with McLaren. Yeah, I, I was saying before we started recording, I, I I think that's that's Alonso and McLaren finished at the end of this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I can't see. I can't see. Uh, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do instead. But um, you know, I mean, I, I think you know, the, probably the Indy Championship would be a nice challenge for him because I think he would enjoy. I think he would enjoy the, the, the you know the lifestyle and everything over there um, around the paddock and uh, living in America. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I did see a tweet. And I can't. I, I wish I could credit who it was because they basically said that. He, he, he did get the triple crown with McLaren because he failed to win Monaco, um, <laughs> Le Mans, and Indy 500 with, with, with McLaren. So, um, that sounds yeah, like yeah. one of Sean Kelly's, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, it could well be. I just thought it was one. It was a genius tweet. And it's like, yeah, that's absolutely the case. It's a case of you know, fail, failure to deliver um, uh, on those pairings. I still think there's going to be a shock return to Ferrari for Fernando. To replace Vettel, oh, that, that would be a shot. Maybe he could come. Maybe he could become the team principal. Maybe he's the right sort of guy for that. Well, he's pretty driven. That's always uh, what I thought he he was hanging around with McLaren for. For after he'd finished racing, to move into some sort of managerial position within McLaren. Yeah, I mean that's um, I guess that, that, that's possible. I think he's still, I think he's still got a couple of years of wanting to be a driver in him. Still, I think he's obviously got itchy feet in that respect. But yeah, I mean I think. Yeah, under the right circumstances, I think he would be, he could potentially be a fantastic um, team principal, uh, especially one of just demands everything rather than trying to be the nice guy. Because we know that you know Fernando isn't isn't Mister Nice Guy in the uh, within the team. Well, Fernando takes over McLaren and then waits for them to uh, get a car together, and then he he's the first like Formula One player manager. <laughs> <laughs> Would be would be possible. <laughs> um, getting back to Formula One, but kind of staying on the American side of things, Haas really have been uh, struggling in the early part of the season. Yes. Um, yeah. What What the hell? Because uh, I mean, they're, they're having problems with the rear of the car, which, from what from what I've read from various sources, is ninety percent of the rear of the Ferrari, or as much as is legal. And as you said earlier, Craig, that they are struggling like nobody's business with uh, getting the tyres to actually work. Um, what do you think they could do better at? Um, I think I think they as you say, there's a couple of issues there. I think most of it is coming from. from is it the called tires. Roman and Ma- uh, Magnuson? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't don't get me started on Magnuson, but um, yeah, in terms of in terms of the tyres, they're they're having this weird thing where you know they can they can get them on in qualifying, but they just don't get anywhere in the race, um, and the race pace is just absolutely awful. And then once you start to lose tyre temperature, and again, partly because of the, the the thin gauge, but also because of the rear tyre temperature, it's very hard to get the tyre temperature into the tyres. Um, now, uh, obviously, at least this season they're actually keeping the tyres on the car long enough for them to turn round a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're fitting them with, with the nuts tightly enough for most of the races this year, maybe not all of them. Um, but um, I think what you what you've got is um, they've been trying to get more temperature into the uh, from the brakes into the wheel into the tyre to try and improve that through the races, and they've actually got to the stage where the, the brakes have been overheating from this, which is obviously a another kind of perennial thing so what what Haas have effectively got is they've got a bit of a hangover from ferrari because the brake ducts and the uh the brakes and all of that assembly inside the wheel is ferrari designed so much like they had issues with brakes a couple of years ago they now need to take the design of all of that aspect particularly with the brake ducts maybe not so much with the upright and the axles and the brake caliber itself is actually take that stuff in-house now and start to understand how to in fact they're going to have to because the regulations change uh, next year anyway but they need to take this design in-house so that they can actually uh, have some influence over the brake duct design to make it do what they want to do and this is, you know, but a part of the hangover of being a, um, a, a listed parts team. Um, then the other issue they've got, which is what you kind of pointed out, is that you know the big chunks of the car are Ferrari, but what isn't Ferrari is the aerodynamics. So they don't run the same level of downforce as Ferrari have, and they don't have the level and the consistency of Ferrari of downforce as Ferrari have. Therefore, all of the things that Ferrari design into the car to get tires to work, you know, this, with the suspension and the brakes and the brake ducts to get the heat and all the geometry right, um, Haas have got that as a legacy from being a, a, a Ferrari customer. But that is good in some respects. I mean, they don't have a massive design department and they get loads of really good parts delivered to them. But if they can't load them up the same way Ferrari have with, with downforce, then they're always going to be somewhat handicapped. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit this year. And it's just the, you know, the, the sort of the struggles of the, the format that they have. You know, if they have a problem, it's quite hard for them to overcome it if it's based around Ferrari parts. So I think the rear end wobble is more to do with tyres and how they have to get the car to react rather than, you know, something actually weird with the um, with the Ferrari setup they've got there. Um, but, you know, again, when you sort of see it, underli- they're a bit like Ferrari. Underlying, you can see that there's some pace there. I think qualifying shows that, you know, moments during the race when everything's working for them um, shows that as well. So I think, you know, Haas really just needs to kind of sort the brake, brake cooling out um, get a bit more downforce on the car and then i still think that they're a little quite a weak team in terms of their race operation you know we had the pit stop issues last year we would joke about and they've had some issues this year as well you've got the the driver discipline as we saw in um spain um they just you know everywhere else everywhere else i mean you know i mean uh, you know magnuson's not the easiest person to get past at you know, any point during a race uh, he's quite bloody minded about how he how he defends which isn't necessarily always the right way to tackle a race if it's going to kill kill your, your pace um or your teammate oh so, so, yeah or your teammate um so 
Yeah, really. I think, you know, I mean, Haas are just kind of going through growing pains, really, aren't they? Um, and, you know, we kind of we have to remember that they are only now in their fourth season. So they've only got three full seasons behind them. So as a race operation, it's still really young in Formula One terms. Um, so, you know, they've still got a bit more growing to do. And, uh, you know, it was, it, again, they're kind of reaching that stage. They were talking when I first spoke to, to Gunter um, before they actually entered Formula One and had a long conversation with about, you know, what's your strategy? At what point do you go away from being a listed part supplier and becoming a bit more of a constructor? And that was all built around a five-year plan. And if we look at then 2021 coming up, you know, how are they going to change their the way they, they operate as a Formula One team in the years to come? And, um, you know, they've kind of been able to grow a little bit because of the Ferrari relationship. But, you know, there's still lots of maturing as a team that they need to kind of go through. Do you think the uh, coming 2021 one rules, wherever they are, are going to force them to have to start making their own parts more? Uh, not necessarily, because as far as I know, I, don't, I think there will be some change to the listed parts, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, um, a, a, a dramatic change. I think there'll be, a, I mean, already the brake ducts have been dropped from the listed parts for 2020, um, which will have an effect on them. And I think for 2021, for a start, you're going to get loads of the spec parts anyway. Um, so that will make almost no difference. Um, maybe they will take on some more aspects. Maybe they will, you know, maybe do their own front suspension, for example, which is quite an easy thing for them to to take on board. And it would be quite a big performance differentiator for them compared with, you know, uh, Ferrari just to have to sort of play around. So, um, yeah, I, I think they hopefully they will move slightly towards being more of a constructor uh, than just a you know, pure listed parts company. Um, but, yeah, again, we'll see what the regulations are going to change to. I mean, one one thing that um, they must be concerned about when the spec parts come in in twenty twenty one, if if it actually happens, is um, it's going to be the brakes because I've seen that you know brakes are going to be standard, and Grosjean has been struggling with the brakes on that car since he first got into it, and what you know what the hell's going to happen then because there's going to be nothing well, that can I- change. Well, there's two there's there's two questions there. One, one will Grosjean be there in twenty twenty one? Well, he, he uh, seems he seems to be bulletproof for some reason. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, you, you you get these drivers in F one, don't you? Just kind of certainly you know, sort of Nick Heidfels and Heinz Harrell, for instance, that just kind of just keep their career going and going. I was staggered um, how long Ericsson yeah. had been in Formula One when he when he retired. <laughs> <laughs> but with the listed parts, I mean, you've got kind of two issues around the brakes, as you say. It would be everything from the brake pedal, master cylinder, the brake caliper, and the brake material will be standard across the field. Um, no so excuses. if the driver if the driver can't get the feel that they want from that setup, then it's going to be very difficult for the teams to do anything to modify this. So that will be quite a quite a big issue. The other issue, and it depends on who gets the uh, brake material contract, is consistency and supply because a lot of the problems that Haas had a couple of years ago weren't so much that the uh, brakes would always be awful but they were finding that the material was quite inconsistent um, and changing suppliers kind of helped that but also gave a different feel at the same time so you know it's I think there's going to a lot of people are going to be moaning 
Um, and uh, you know, I think there's a few few team principles in particular in in the paddock in 2021. If they find that the package doesn't work perfectly for them, they're going to be moaning like hell to every TV camera and every journalist they can get their hands on, um, because they feel you know kind of uh, uh, cheated that you know they've had this pushed upon them. But um, I mean, I, I'm. I'm still of the opinion spec parts is as much as we know is going to be happening for 2021 so far is a good thing. I don't think it's necessarily a night and day difference in terms of cost saving or equalizing the field, but I think it's just some fairly sensible stuff that, um, you know, can be put in there ahead of hopefully um, a bit more of a robust um, budget cap. Have you heard any more things come forward about what the 2021 rules are going to be? Because, well, it, there seems to be a little bit more positivity coming out of team bosses and stuff at the minute. It's yeah, I mean the trouble is it's it's all swings and roundabouts. Um, there is there is some good stuff happening. So we've got a whole load of listed parts which we know about. We know the power units aren't really going to change for twenty twenty one, and we've seen some of the aero concepts which are still being thrashed out. And obviously, again, there's some teams that are against it and some teams that are against the timing of it. Um, so you'd get a team like Red Bull, which would be feel aggrieved because they're very much an aero team, and if they're going to simplify the aero, then it's kind of going against what they're one of their key points is. Um, and then obviously for the lesser-funded teams, and I think it's uh, Racing Point, I think I was calling them Force India earlier, really, which I remember, <laughs> it is Racing Point, isn't it? Um, for the, now. Pounded the swear, Joe. It's, it's a racing point about 50 other words as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think they were concerned about the timing of the confirmation of the regulations as well. So obviously they didn't want the big teams to have, you know, two full years to get prepared for it. Um, and they wanted to kind of shorten that a little bit in order to try and, you know, hope that their agility would maybe get them a bit of an advantage. So... Uh, exactly what they're doing with the aero is still very much up in the air. I know that we saw the concepts or some CFD pictures went round from Race Car Engineering magazine, uh, which were wholly accurate in terms of what the teams have been playing with. Maybe in terms of timescale, they were a little bit earlier than they were released, but they were kind of about the direction that they were going. And the direction that they're trying to get to is very good from my point of view in terms of improving overtaking. It's all the right. There's lots of good things that they're doing there. So um, whether we will ever get there is really debatable. I mean, Formula One is a really good way of having some really great ideas and great rules and then at the last minute watering them down to have effectively no impact whatsoever. And we've seen that with pretty much every big rule change that I can think of um, since probably 1982. <laughs> <laughs> so like the two. The 2009 regulations were, um, you know, ended up being massively watered down. The 2014 ones were watered down. I think there was one in between and maybe one before 2009 when they were talking about going to ground effects and stuff. That all, you know, have fallen by the wayside and effectively been pretty ineffective as rule changes. Um, these ones truly have the potential to be a step change in how the sport works. Um, so they really should work, and I hope they should get through without too much interfering from the teams and just let Ross Bourne's design team, you know, kind of dictate what what should be done. I saw an interview, so, and then utilise as well. I just got that one, yeah. I saw an interview with Ross Bourne and uh, Martin Brundle, and 
Um, Ross was saying that the, the cars now lose about 50% of the downforce when they're following another car. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the, his proposal for the new aero regs would mean the car was only losing 5% of its downforce. Is that, like, is that realistic or is it just sort of cool media talk to put out in an interview? I got to say, losing five percent sounds. Um, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't sound like real physics um, because at the end of the day, when one car moves through the air, it's pushing all of the air out of the way and taking pushing in different directions, taking the energy out of it, regardless of what aero it's got. So even if you were following a, you know, a Formula Ford, you, you know, and another Formula One came, Formula Ford came behind it, you're going to still lose much of that air pack airflow and that's great for slipstreaming but obviously it's you know it's really bad for um for overtaking if you want to create downforce um i haven't heard those comments but there's two aspects to this first of all you've got um what the car ahead is leaving behind in terms of its weight and what the regulations this year especially the regulations for 2021 are trying to reduce the 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 size of that wake coming behind it where it's positioned um and you know how clean that wake will actually end up that is probably more important in some respects than what you do to the aero to the car behind but what they're also trying to do uh, which is what they tried to do in 2019 is to try and make the aero on the car following less sensitive to sitting in that wake as well so there's two aspects to it so yeah it will it will have a huge impact um, whether it's down to 5% loss of downforce, I, I, I find that almost too hard to believe. But if Ross Braun has quoted that, then I, I'm, I'm, I'll... I'll <laughs> he kind of has this stuff. all of us, so we'll give the benefit of the doubt on that one. <laughs> Do you think Ross Braun might be looking at more of a ground effect uh, formula, sort of aero-wise, getting rid of the, the... Not getting rid of the aero on the top, um, the no, top it, planes it's, of the car? Yeah, it's, it's very much trying to take a lot more downforce from the underbody it's i mean we call it ground effect which is a bit of a bit of um, a, a, a misnomer really because they, or the car really works in down ground effect even now but it's much more trying to create wing from the uh, uh, yeah. downforce with the underbody um much less from the rear wing which is a big contributor to uh, to weight and because of that because the underfloor tends to create downforce that's balanced a bit better front to rear. It means that you, if you create lots of downforce from the underbody, you don't need much of a front wing either. So the front wings that they're playing with are just three elements um, and don't have this middle section. Um, so you lose all the turbulence from the wire 250 area as well. So, you know, there's lots of clever stuff that they're doing. Um, and the thing with these regulations um, is that you can only, they will only work if that you introduce the full package um in terms of, of, of aero changes you can't like just can't milk pick it and choose a couple. yeah yeah you can't pick and choose a few bits of it and go like, we're only going to do them it will only work if you take the whole setup um and that's my concern what is going on in the meetings that i think are happening through june um to uh, come to some conclusion with these regulations to get them signed off and of course there is there is still one topic that we haven't touched on tonight Williams. <laughs> God. <laughs> you you've been dreading you've been I, dreading I, us saying this, haven't you? Well, I mean, I, I think every time we we sit down and talk, we kind of roll our eyes. Um, uh, whatever the the uh, podcast equivalent rolling your eyes is. Um, At least we haven't been wrong uh, so where, far. Where Williams rap? 
And, you know, this year really isn't any improvement in any aspect of the team. Um, you know, uh, the car has got some fundamental problems. It even seems that, you know, from one car to another, they have fundamental problems. And I don't know how much of that maybe is, um, you know, what Kibitzer is saying or if that is actually the case. Williams seem to think it isn't. There's some evidence from the last test that Russell ran the other car and it was just as quick. He was a second, um, second in quality, wasn't he? Yeah, and you know, again, we get. I don't know if you've seen these um, graphs from the FIA, which show you slow speed um, performance of the cars relative to each other, medium speed, high speed, and top speed of the car. Where, 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 uh, where do we get these from? <laughs> uh, well, they, I, I, they tend to be tweeted out a lot, but I think they actually come on the FIA um, press release um, at some point through the weekend, um, okay, and they're okay. fantastic, actually give you exactly where it is but you can spot the williams because the williams color is gray and they have the longest bar in all of the charts so they're slowest compared to whoever the fastest car is in the slow corners and the medium speed corners and the high speed corners and on i mean there's just nowhere the williams is good uh, by some margin so then you look at what the hell are they doing at the factory you know what are they doing to rectify the situation our, our bright idea to bring patrick head uh, back into the team, I think we, when we spoke back in March, yeah, actually happened. Actually happened, which I just <laughs> <laughs> had to laugh at. Um, and I, from what I understand, he's there as a consultant. And I think everything I've heard about what his involvement has been is that he's very much uh, taking a back seat to all of this and isn't coming in as a technical director and isn't, you know, banging his fist on the desk uh, to get things sorted. Um, so I think his his impact there is not as great as I think perhaps we would have hoped if he was given maybe a bit more authority in that position. I think he needs to do more shouting. Just, you know, you know Pat, Paddy Lowe is still on um, conditional leave as far as I, I understand. And, you know, that <laughs> whatever the excuse they came out with when he disappeared before, uh, I think it was Melbourne, wasn't it? Um, it clearly wasn't the uh, the true situation. Um, and I, again, I can see absolutely no way out for the team um, from this current problem. And I think, I don't know if we said it in, in our last chat, or maybe it was something I had on over twitter with someone is that i think you know we're gonna we potentially could lose williams or some of their senior management before the end of the year it's a horrible thought really i still think the, the whole paddy low thing's amazing because be, it's not like that man forgot how to do his job in between switching teams no um again uh, paddy has been very much uh, a scapegoat there and i think a lot of the problems the team have got are you know legacy issues from how it's been run from a, a number of people um, over the past few years and the the, the conditions in which you know Paddy was allowed to operate, um, which was completely wrong. Bearing in mind, you know, <laughs> Paddy you know, has got went through you know, McLaren. He set up Mercedes. Um, you know, he can't. He, you know, as much as one man isn't the team. You know, he knows how to organise a team if he's left to, to get on with it. And I still think he's someone the team should have back and have perhaps even in, in a bigger position than just technical director. Maybe he needs to be, you know, kind of deputy team principal or something um, uh, or something along those lines where he has some clout and 
utter authority over the team to kind of get them where they need to be. If it's not him, um, I think, you know, again, that they're, like we said before, they're one of those teams that need a kind of a big dictatorial person to come in and actually just drive the team to where they need to be because, you know, they're they're going backwards at a rate not, which is, you know, really, really sad to see as a Formula One fan, you know, sort of since the eighties. Are we saying that all these broken teams can be fixed with Flavio Briatori? Or Ron Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean it's weird, isn't it? It's you know, if you speak to any uh, management consultant in a normal business, you know, they'll come out with a kind of very much Rondon is kind of a matrix structure where it's all, you know, everyone's equal and fair. But um, in a Formula One team, you need someone to drive it forwards. Um, and it, I think it just because you need to be a small and agile team and everyone needs to be really be pulling in one specific direction, you can't just have a big kind of conglomerate of people trying to reach a consensus because um, that just doesn't work. Um, which seems to be fairly unique to Formula One. I can't think of any other environments apart from something that's very entrepreneurial, you know, or maybe like SpaceX or, you know, kind of your uh, Elon Musk type things uh, where someone can have a big impact. But I think Formula One is very much one of those environments. It's very much kind of bucks the, uh, you know, the uh, book of management uh, trend. I would be on board with an Elon Musk-led Formula One team. Just so it's out there. <laughs> great at Williams. Can we? Can we get? Can we final? Should we say that out loud now? Because Patrick Hedden works, didn't he? <laughs> Tesla so, Formula One. Oh, no, wait, no, we can't Tesla. do that. You do yeah, the incantation. Couple... I'll sacrifice the chicken. <laughs> yeah, that comes and runs Ferrari or Williams. Some one of those. Something like that. Yes. Well, or, well, or Renault. Well, we're one from one with um, people coming into Williams' predictions so far this season. So, we're, yeah, we've got a good run going. <laughs> um, has there been anything more said in the paddock about the Mazepin buy-in? Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. Um, I, I, I was kind of picked up some of the conversations last year. And they were, obviously, they, they had money and they were looking at um, what was then uh, Force India and obviously around uh, Williams with the potential of the trolls sort of moving out from there. Um, and I haven't heard anything else since. I mean, I know, I think something has happened commercially over in, in Russia that may uh, alter that. But, you know, I think they are walking around with a kind of a pocket full of cash um and looking for some way to spend it and um a lot of people were courting williams last year and from what i can understand is that williams kind of pushed everybody away um because they had kind of unrealistic expectations of what they wanted um or how much money they wanted for what they could offer um and that money ended up sort of kind of going elsewhere as you say there's, there's still that lot, lots of russian money sort of floating around um but yeah, again, I don't know if that is the. I don't think money would help Williams certainly, mm. but I don't think that is the kind of the answer to their problems really. I just found it interesting because with Mazepin doing quite well in the well, very well in his Mercedes test and going fastest on the day he was in, I thought yeah. maybe that might kickstart this whole thing a bit. Well, this is it. You know, there's. You know, I think Mercedes do look like they're. You know, are looking for a bit more of a B team. I mean, I think it seems to be something. I don't know if it's been said explicitly, 
by uh, Toto or anyone else on the team, but it certainly does look like they're trying to do a bit more. But obviously, you've now got the strolls in uh, form, forming racing point. Um, I don't know how far the Williams would want to go to that. But Claire has said some quite odd things about you know buying in gearboxes and stuff, which really, you know, again, is a uh, you know one minute they're for it, next minute they're against it, next minute they're mentioning it again. Um, you know, it, I find it hard to believe Williams would buy in lots of parts from Mercedes. You know, obviously they're quite happy to drive a place there uh, and take some money um, from that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just such a uh, you know everything. You know, if the stars could line up and you could actually see how Williams could suddenly you know get the money, get the Mercedes input, get a good driver, and potentially have some other people there. And really kind of bounce back. But I just don't see that that is lining up to, to be a reality at the moment. Mm. I mean, Claire Williams has officially denied um, that the team's for sale, so that's usually a good sign that it is. Well, to be honest, every Formula 1 team is always up for sale. Um, and the, the price price does vary, <laughs> how desperate they are to sell. But, yeah, I think every team, maybe with a couple of exceptions, Um you know, uh, would be, you know, could be, could be sold to the right person for the right package. Um, uh, Williams, you know, you know, we know that the Strolls put a huge amount of money into them over the last few years and really has kind of kept, uh, in some respects, Williams afloat, but equally has kind of been the double-edged sword that's probably got, um, stabbed Williams in the back at the same time. So, um, yeah, yeah, there, there must be a solution out there for them, but I just can't see anything that's bubbling up at the moment that's going to um, really make the difference. And again, I don't see Williams necessarily reaching out for that kind of resolution either. So I think it's a, it's a difficult situation for them. It's it's, you know, it's worrying as a fan, as I've sort of said before. Yeah, I think I think basically they're just going to be remaining as proud as they are while while they're sinking. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's you can do nothing, can sink, uh, or just you know stay at the back forever, uh, or you can do something about it. And um, you know, at the moment, I, I I fear it's one of those uh, former things rather than the latter. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe Williams are pinning the hopes on Renault continuing to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they'll beat Ferrari. If Ferrari sees a really the worst. <laughs> then they would would be sacrificing another team principal. <laughs> um, yeah, Ferrari would sacrifice Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true, actually. Before you go, Craig, this is this is something that we started doing on um, doing on the podcast this season when we do our race predictions, and we've said that every time we have a guest, we get a guest predictor for the top three on race preview shows, which this one is. And we said every time we get a guest on, we're going to get their prediction for the top three. And as you are the first guest that we've had on this season. I'm afraid to say you're going to be the first person that we ask for a, a race prediction. Oh, fantastic. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers for that. Um, okay. So we've got the Monaco Grand Prix top three. Um, well, I don't think we're going to see Ferrari in the top three, so we can kind of discount that, which brings us down to just kind of four cars, doesn't it? Um, and I'd be surprised if, Gasly beat Verstappen in a conventional race with both of them finishing. So that gives us the top three. <laughs> then the order. Um, oh, God. Um, I don't know if Red Bull are going to have the level of pace around 
Monaco that will bring them the win. Now, I know it's worked well for them in the past few years. Um, it's possible. I think the best that Red Bull could expect would be to split the Mercedes. Um, so I think it's it's boring but obvious, but I think the, 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 the order will be Hamilton, Verstappen and Bottas. That is great. So in, a, in a normal race with all those other caveats that reliability and rain and what have you. But yeah, but I, 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 I think it could actually end up being quite a dull race once we've got that first lap out of the way, which is rather sad to say. Unfortunately, because it's Monaco. Yeah, probably. And the car's it's, about eight metres yeah. long these days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they are, but have you, there's a video going around of um, coaches going around the hairpin, and yep. they seem to cope really well. So all this rubbish about wheelbase, it's like, if a coach can get round, keeping on the inside lane... Maybe that's um, what Williams need to do. Run a coach around there. Yeah. Well, they can get, what, 52 pay drivers on board. That might be the answer. It'll look like NASCAR. <laughs> They could have the whole, the whole uh, Formula Two, Formula Three field sat inside. The, sat inside the, one of the coaches. What a good, a good job it is that HRT isn't still a team with this idea. <laughs> <laughs> and on that yeah. note, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on again, Craig. It's always always great to talk to you. Always good fun. Always really interesting. Thanks for guys. And uh, we'll no doubt speak to you again before uh, before much longer in the season. Yes. Well, we've got an interesting summer coming up. So um, I say interesting. I think you know, maybe you need to look at the midfield rather than front. But yeah, I think we've, I think we've got lots of races still to go through in summer. So let's catch up before um, the uh, the cars get packed off to the flyaways. Sounds like Sounds a plan good. to us. Yep. Cheers, well, Craig. Cheers, Craig. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks very much. And as always, always fantastic talking to Scarps. Yeah, Every time, very insightful and full of information. Yeah. Um, as we said, Craig will be on again later on in the year. And whenever whenever there's updates, he's more than happy to come on. And It's an open invitation to him, basically. Yeah, hopefully. Should we, should we give him a shout around Hungary time? That sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Shall we move on to some news? News. Yes, there are, there are there are newsy things that don't involve the Indy 500 and Fernando Alonso. Yes. Um, first one, huge congratulations to Billy Munger. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, won the Pearl Grand Prix at the weekend. Yeah, his first win in single-seaters. Um, first a... win in single-seaters since his accident. Yeah. He had won F4 races before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's the Euro Formula, isn't it? The Euro Formula... The Open Euro Formula. Yeah, is which is yeah. Ne- it's what's replaced European Formula 3 because European Formula 3 merged with GP3 to form F3. You're keeping up with this, it'll be a test later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, no, huge congratulations. Not only did he win the race, he went from last position at the beginning of the race to first position at the end of the race by mm. being a bit cheeky and coming in and changing for wet tyres mm. at the right time. So. Did you read the quote? Uh, his quote, quote about it? That he, he he had an argument with his engineer on the radio, yeah, because his engineer was trying to stay out on slicks, the slick tires, and he was saying no, no, I need wets, and he was right, he was right, <laughs> he was right, yeah. Thanks to another team knocking their uh, two drivers uh, knocking each other off the track, causing the safety car, and 
know, chances of overtakes. Um, Billy Munger won the race, so well done, Billy Munger. Apparently, he had broken steering as well. Amazing. Um, talking about the winner of this weekend's W Series race had no dashboard apart from uh, apart from rev lights, Ooh, and she actually had to take a steering wheel off and put it back on, which. The tour was working IT here. That's kind of the equivalent yeah. of turning it off and back on again. On the grid. Wow. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, like, that's keeping it cool. That is that, that is keeping a cool head. And, and it, it, it wasn't Jamie Chadwick, one. It wasn't Jamie Chadwick that won. She, she was second. She was she was second. I can't remember the name of the winner, and I should have looked this one up. Mm, yeah, but we had news about Jamie Chadwick. Yes, yes. she is now part of the Williams organisation. As a development driver. Congratulations. Um... She'll be working alongside current reserve driver Nicholas Latifi, and she'll be doing a lot of the a lot of the simulator work. Conspiracy theory time. Is this? We be- need an extra hand. I should have edited that out, but I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Conspiracy. Just, con- just, just edit the tumbleweed in. Yeah. Conspiracy theory time. Is it because Nicholas Latifi won't have time to do a lot of simulator work because he'll be too busy driving the car? Not, bad, not a bad call. <laughs> hey, I do get them right more yeah. than twice a day, so I'm better than a stop clock. Well, we are pretty good with Williams predictions. <laughs> <laughs> one from one so far. Um, yeah, do you think? Do you think that could be a thing? I don't know. I mean, the Canadian Grand Prix is not that far away, is it? And there was one of the Canadian newspapers. Well, it was reported that one of the Canadian newspapers was speculating that. He could be in the car soon, and then I actually read a translation of the newspaper article and said, we would like to see a Canadian driver in the car soon. Right. There just happens to be a Canadian driver on the outskirts of the team. (laughs) They saw a Canadian driver in the car last year. They're greedy. They want another. They want two Canadians on the grid. It turns out that uh, the Canadians are a little bit like Germans in the way that it's it's not like what 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 you are. It's it's the perfect one. Like the um, Germans didn't really take to any other German driver apart from Schumacher. <laughs> Heinz Harald, who? Yeah. <laughs> Rosberg won a championship. Nah. Sebastian Four World Championship. What? No. Isn't he, isn't he English? Yeah. <laughs> Talk, talking of nationalities and the drivers, did anyone see that article in Autosport last week about the top fifteen Dutch drivers after the uh, after the Zandvoort announcement? There's been fifteen Dutch drivers. That's, yeah, yeah, that's what. That's, that's what exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm reading it. It's like 10, 15, 14. Jan Lammers, right? We're in a familiar territory now. <laughs> was Robert Doornobs in there? Uh, I think he was. He was fourth. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh no! It's not okay. the best pedigree then. So, so Max is the best then. The top two surnames were both Verstappen. Right. Okay. Jos <laughs> did get podium, and that's why he's the second best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the top five were um, Jan Lammers, Robert Dornobs, and I can't even remember the third one. He's been racing in the last few years. Oh, oh Guido Vandergaard. Oh, Guido Vandergaard. Oh. Yeah. yeah, and and then a pair, then a pair of Verstappens, and there was these other ten that I'm like. And this guy did the first 13 laps of the 1952 Dutch Grand Prix until he gave his car to his teammates. Like, you are really scraping the barrel on this one. <laughs> um, we like the Dutch, but that's a strange list. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange list. <laughs> I, I, think, I think this was Autosport desperately trying to fill up some space. Yes. <laughs> was it like Thursday? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holland's big. What can we do about Holland? 
baking. Well, we, we can do another Wouldn't story on Max. Wouldn't you do the top five drivers, though? <laughs> Unless you're being paid by the word. I think there were in that case. Was Johan Cruyff in the list? <laughs> um, he was lousy in a straight line, but great at turns. Okay, fair oh. enough. Football joke was, there for was, anyone no, else apart was, from Chris it, that it got was, that. It was, a good, it was a good joke. Um... I think that's probably about it, about it for the news this week, isn't it? Because well, there's a potential of a Morocco GP that's been banded about, but we're unsure as to. <coughs> well, apparently, Liberty are very keen to get a Grand Prix in Africa, aren't yeah. they? And they've been talking to Marrakesh, which is where obviously the E Prix takes place when Formula E go there. Mm. So we've been talking a lot about in the past about how Formula E. We'd like to see how well a Formula E uh, race goes on a Formula One circuit. What we might actually see is the reverse of that, and a Formula One race taking place on an already established Formula E circuit. So I can't help think that if it's the same as a Formula E circuit, that's going to be a bad Formula One race. It, it, well, I would think that too, because narrow and also concrete blocks everywhere. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> well, the fact that the chicanes in Formula E circuits don't tend to be chicanes, they tend to be Zeds as well. And the hairpins tend to be walls, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the other option for a race... It's somewhere in Africa, would, um, the obvious cut would be the return of um, racing the Kyle Army. Yeah, South Africa. Toto can't go to Africa. Don't be <laughs> <stupid>. <laughs> he can if it's a wet race. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. God. But only if he hopes for it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> He'd just take the weekend off, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, like a weekend off on compassionate leave. Yeah. Yeah. They'd have to replace him with at least a thousand men or more. <laughs> <laughs> Ten points to the first... Ten points to the first presenter who goes up to Toto and goes, Toto, Africa. What about Morocco then? <laughs> I mean, apparently Kyle Army is um, almost F1 suitable again, which um, apparently is the state that Zandvoort's in at the minute. Well, I remember the, the, the last race that they had at Kyle Army. I remember 90, watching it. 93. 93. Yeah, one of Damon Hill. I think Damon Hill's first race or one of his first races. And uh, he got spun about a little bit at the beginning of the race and... This, this new Williams driver is terrible. He's down to seventh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days. I know, yeah. Uh, but no, it, it would it would be good because I mean, Africa is the the only continent without a race on, which is exactly apart, apart from Antarctica. But I'm sure Red Bull will be doing demonstration runs around there before. Much well, no, longer. that's exactly what Sean Bratches was saying. He was saying, you know, the the the, the habitable continents that we race on, Africa's the only one that we don't go to. So, I mean, Morocco's practically Europe. Well, it's Africa, but yeah, yeah. North, North Africa, yeah. Well, that'd be, um, it'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on. And obviously, this calendar's going to have to going to have to increase from 21 to the 25 races that want to fit all these new supposed circuits in. Well, I've said that, but the teams uh, well, or Christian may not Horner be for next year. Seem to be particularly down on it when he was to- like talking about it. Well, no, the, the staying at 21, you can guess you can guess where that's come from because who has the veto? Mm. Well, I I don't think they're going to keep that. I think that'll be gone by the time new regs come in. Well, it's um, the agreement to only have 20, um, 21 races is for next year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they, if tw- if 2021 happens yeah. in 2021, mm-hmm. that's when that's when the whole Which thing... Which calendars predict it should. Yeah. <laughs> Barring but, meteors. <laughs> you know, you can predict the tide within like one second, a hundred years in the future, and yet we don't know what's going to happen in two years' time. I know, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> 
you can predict the time with the accuracy of one second for a hundred years. Yet I always seem to get caught out by the bloody swing bridge when I'm walking out of my house and going into town. I was doing it in the, in the morning the other day. It was like quarter to seven. Uh, quarter to eight in the morning that it was doing it. I was like, what you idiots? Two weeks ago, it got us at um, quarter to flipping midnight. Yeah. Who's bro- it- who's sailing their boat in or out of a, of a harbour at quarter to midnight? There is a story about that which we'll save for the Patreon show. Sure. Okay. Um, it involves somebody being drunk. Unsurprisingly, but it wasn't me. Um, right, Monaco this weekend. It is? Yes. So how, how do you like your processions? Um, I like them parady. Yes. That sounded rude. <laughs> <laughs> how would you like your processions today, no, sir? How are your processions doing? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. They get, they get a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, the left one's swollen. <laughs> <laughs> There are tablets you can have for that. Yeah, it's the um, it's the annual parade in front of a load of yachts. And people who don't care about Formula One. Mm. Half the paddock. Yeah, right. I wouldn't give a fuck tomorrow if Monaco was taken off the calendar. I think the teams would complain tomorrow if it was taken off because they're already all out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would, you know, because they live there. <laughs> yeah, true. I think it should be on the calendar, but I don't think it should be a championship event. Yeah, you said that. That might not be a, a stupid idea. An exhibition. Just, mm. just, just watch. They'll take it. They'll take it off the off the championship. Keep it on the calendar, and we will have some of the best racing that we've ever seen. Mm. The first year that happens. Yeah. Well, no, but the thing is, if if that was to take, get taken off the calendar, even though every year people go, I hate Monaco. It's a procession. It's boring. The minute Formula One turned around and said, right, we're not going to Monaco anymore, the internet would melt down that you're taking the, the jewel away from the sport. It, it would also melt down when it was brought back into the yes. sport. Well, yeah. Why are you bringing the procession back? Stupid yeah. internet. Because people are rubbish. Yeah, it's a race that's it's not won on the Saturday, but I mean, it's very easily... You, you can put yourself in a place where you're going to have it won on the Saturday, unless... Shenanigans. Rain. If there's, if if there's no rain at Monaco, Monaco is not a good race. And there's there's a possibility of rain this year. Say, the good the good news is it might. The long range weather forecast is saying rain all weekend. Now and again, um, a safety car towards the end of the race can make it something too. Yeah, but I mean, it's just so difficult to pass at Monaco, isn't it? I mean, you can't do anything about it. You can't widen the circuit because no. buildings, you know. <laughs> well, you can, but I think a lot, a lot of the apartment owners would have something to complain about. Yeah, exactly. There's passing opportunities. You got into turn one, really, haven't you? And yeah. then maybe out of the tunnel into the chicane, possibly if you're close enough and brave enough on the brakes. I'm sure we'll see what's, Verstappen giving it a what's go. What's the second to last corner? Uh, Raskas. That's, you, you can kind of, Barge your way through there if you're brave. Well, do you remember when uh, the Saubers tried to do it and both ended up facing sideways and into the barriers? Yeah, but someone's managed it at some then, point. But then you got <laughs> Jules Bianchi a few years ago managing to, to barge um, Marussia all the way up to 10th place, was it? 9th place? 9th. Ninth. Ninth. Yeah. I don't think he barged By- it up, though, did he? Didn't didn't a loaded car barge themselves out? No, he, uh, he no, did exactly... 15 finishes that was year. Yeah. yeah, he did exactly what you were saying then, barged his way through at the Raskast and pushed oh. two cars out of the way and went, no, I'm coming through, see you later. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it is possible to pass, but you just don't see it all that often. Mm. And, yeah, I think there's, there's more of a chance of it being one on outright qualifying pace. And it's just a case of getting your car out at the right time to get a decent lap in when there's no other slower cars on track. Because so, traffic's a problem during qualifying yeah. as well. For me, that rules Ferrari out of getting anything out of this. Absolutely. Because it relies on strategists. Mm. And I don't think they'll pick the right numbers out of the hat again this week. Well, the worst part of the, um, of Spain for them was the twisty circuit bit, wasn't it? 
the slow corners. Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're going to be fucked for Monaco. And the, as we were just saying before with scams, the the best part, you know, Mercedes Arsenal at the moment is being quick round slow corners. Enjoy that hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a long weekend for Ferrari. Well, it's going to be a long weekend for all the teams because FP one's on Thursday and seventy seven laps as well around or seventy eight laps around Monaco. Yeah. Although all That's Ferrari a- would need to do is get a good start and get into the lead. Then you can be much slower than anyone anyone else. No, they need to have a good Saturday. There. A good Saturday is yeah. what they need. Be, be cleverer than everyone else on a Saturday. I don't know how they're going to quite how they're going to do that. I think Leclerc's going to crash in qualifying. Do you? Yeah. In his home race, don't forget he's a, he's a monogasque driver. I also think that won't be the other big scalp that goes out either. I think Max Verstappen will crash during the race Ooh. because he'll be in a position not to fight the Mercedes because they won't be close enough. And Max has looked like he's overdriving that car a little bit at times this well, he, year. He did bin it in qualifying last year at the swimming pool. Yeah, but and the year it, before. Yeah, and yeah. the year before. Yeah, but if he's if he's trying to if he's trying to make time up in a car around Monaco, doesn't usually end well for people. The only thing that could save anyone really from from having a um, a sort of non-conformity race really would be rain on the Saturday and not on the Sunday. Mm. Yeah, if you that would that would actually throw up a very interesting result because you then you would see cars out of, starting out of position and yeah. defending the places. Can we yeah. not just have rain on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, that might happen. <laughs> that might happen. Who knows? Um, the problem is that with too much rain on the Sunday, you'll end up with a safety car, and then that'll just be a slightly slower parade. And Burnt Mylander wins Driver of the Day. I don't know what the forecast is. Can you vote Burnt Mylander for Driver of the Day? I don't think you can at the moment, but we should start a campaign because mm-hmm. our hashtags work dead well. Yeah, between the, the four of us. Yes. <laughs> what? What's? Uh, Try ha- and get hashtag burnt dod. What's that? Burnt Mylander, driver of the day. Oh right, okay. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to work out the other hashtags. What the ones that have worked really well? Yeah. None of them. Right. Okay. I was joking. You put too much thought into that. I know. I thought we genuinely had one that we tried to show. Oh yeah. Um, Hashtag your voice no if one didn't take off. No, it didn't. Somebody bought a hashtag Jack Attack t-shirt last week. Did they? Yes. That's good. <laughs> like it. Jack Attack is, of course, coming around again. And he did ruin my entire Spotify listening figures for 2018. Because <laughs> he was mine. right at the top of my listening <laughs> because I was one of these people, and I'm, I'm sure there are other people as well who, uh, you know, listeners who did this, where you put Jacques Villeneuve on as you went to bed with your phone on mute and just let it play on repeat all night. And I did this for several nights, which meant that Jacques Villeneuve was my number one played song in 2018. <laughs> How many times did you play him? Uh, 100 and something, I can't remember, or 200 and something. Gosh, that must that be. That will have earned him nearly a hundredth of a Canadian cent. <laughs> That's like a ten thousandth of a loony. <laughs> the thing is, I don't know if anybody else has... Spot a bit of... fish in real money. <laughs> if he has Spotify for artists, he will have been really confused that <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> I think he stopped look, looking at his plays a long time ago. Uh, we inflicted... Um, a mate of mine, Mark, who was a new guitarist in my band, and a massive, massive Ingvar Malmsteen, Steve Vai, twiddly-widdly guitar music fan to uh, fooling around on Saturday night. And Dan, you saw the look on his face. Yes. I've never heard what the hell is this spoken with so much conviction in my life. And bearing in mind this was Eurovision and, night. Yeah, <laughs> we just sat through all the Eurovision Song Contest as well. Oh, dear. <laughs> 
Shall we do some predictions for this weekend? Let's go for it. Right. Um, obviously, you've already heard Scarbs. Yes. Because we got him to predict first. I have Shans here, and she's going for a Bottas win with Verstappen second and Hamilton third. Hmm. Who wants to go up next? I'll go. Okay. Hamilton, Bottas, Lando. Interesting. I'm amazed you didn't go um, Hamilton, Lando, Alonso, because he's got nothing else to do this Sunday. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You'd be in that Ferrari I keep trying to give to him. <laughs> Dan? Hamilton, Bottas, Vettel. Going, okay. against, going against the expert opinion. I know, yeah. I what's know. this all about? I'm going to go against the expert opinion as well. It's all right. So. I, we'll <laughs> I, I think Verstappen's going to bin it, and Gasly is not going to be in fourth place See, when I he think does. McLaren, I think McLaren are going to be best of the rest. And um, like you say, Lando has said, when, when given a clean race in GP3, in GP2, had this ability to make sure his car was on the podium all the time. I'm going to say Hamilton, Bottas, Leclerc. And I will go for... I'm going Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Again, no Gasly. No Gasly from anybody. <laughs> I went ain't nobody got, ain't nobody got no, no Gasly. <laughs> ain't nobody got no gas. <laughs> anybody would think he's having a Gasly season. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dear. Have I just put the tumbleweed in again? It's, the, fi- it's yeah. the fifth time I've used that this year. Expect to hear it more. Yeah. <laughs> Same with the tumbleweed. Right, I'm I'm going to write to him and ask him to just change his name. No, book up his ideas. Stop <laughs> doing a bit better because we're tired of Lee's joke. <laughs> and change your name to Great Leaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to join in with the predictions, if you go to the website and go to the game section, you will see the um, 2019 Prediction League on there. Give us your top three and uh, as an added extra, your pole position and fastest lap and see how you compare to us and everybody else on the leaderboard. I think we've a couple couple of hundred people on there now. I do enjoy the player who keeps Mm. going for Robert Kubica for win and fastest lap. (laughs) (laughs) It's a brave choice. Even a stopped... No, no, not not even that stopped clock. Um, Obviously, we'll be doing the live blog. Even a stopped clock has one hand working? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! We will be doing the live blog on Sunday. Um, I think executive Hashtag Robert the Sundial. I'm letting that one slip. It's oh late. no! It's gone downhill so fast. I'm so sorry, everyone. So we'll be doing the live blog on Sunday, but I think executive decision, seeing as there isn't really any McLaren interest in the Indy 500, I'm not going to bother. Not going to bother doing that one. We'll be around on Twitter. I might have paid attention if there was someone to pay attention to. But there isn't, so <laughs> I'm probably There's not going to. Marcus Ericsson? Yeah, again, Marcus I reiterate Hart my point. Marcus as Spain was. Is that your bold prediction of the week? Yeah. What if Alonso turns up in Monaco because he hasn't got to be at Indy? Jensen will wee in his seat. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean he's going to turn up in Super G? No, I'm not even... <laughs> Shall we shunt it? It's yeah. Here. Let's go for a shot. And who is this week's from? Oh, have you fact checked it? Because you were having you're having to fact check earlier. Yeah, I, it wasn't so much fact checking. I need but fact to, hunting. Yeah, I needed to find out which one. Who the fact it was? Yeah, I need to find out which one it was. If you do this, because I, I mean, I, I'm I'm happy that you you don't maybe some of you don't think this, but I'm a fucking idiot. So I'd like. No, it. I think a lot of people do think well, that. Well, you'd think that, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So yeah, if you're going to send a total shunt in. Tell me what the fuck it is. 
<laughs> Give the answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, the quiz master needs to know this. <laughs> Who sent this one in without the answer? Uh, this was brought, uh, sent in by... Oh, motherfucker. That's a name you can't pronounce. <laughs> are, they from, are they from Ireland? <laughs> Rune, no, no, sorry, it's okay. I have got the first one. The first name's Rune. Uh, Rune Wenzel Herms. That sounds Dutch. Okay, continuing our run of um, Netherlands-related total shunts, we've had yes. two Dutch drivers and now this. Dutch shunts. Um, he's done you on a question here. He's, done, he's, 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 he's had you off. Go on. Because the first question is, I was born... Yes. At least it's a good first question. Dot, dot, dot. When? <laughs> <laughs> right, so as clues go, this driver was... Oh, Inanimate object or team <laughs> was born. This thing. It's always a good start to life. <laughs> Question two. Oh. I was created in 1920. Now you see, you. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull him up here on his question setting because he could have gone. The first I was born in 1920. That would have been fine. Yeah, we'd have allowed it. Would yeah, we would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would have been fine. It's a slow start mm-hmm. from ro- rune, rune. Uh, my first foray into motorsport was a failure. So, oh God, this, this is technically this is clue three. Well, no, it's not because we don't have any extra clues. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you need a guess on this one. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, we'll go with something along the lines of the first question. Because if the first question was, I was born dot, 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 are you dot, dot, dot? <laughs> I, I feel you've wasted a guess. <laughs> that, that's, that's an interesting first guess, Paul. <laughs> if you if you wouldn't mind, like shutting the fuck up for the rest of the quiz. <laughs> no, I can't because that last coffee you made, I think you put four spoonfuls in. We had on the Patreon show, yeah. That's I wasn't, be I, I wasn't interesting. looking to be perfectly honest. I, I have this horrible tendency to free pour coffee. <laughs> um, I have been involved in professional cycling. Okay. Peugeot. Could Sport be. Sport background. Cycling. Does this man think the wheel was invented in 1920? <laughs> I, I was thinking of a tyre manufacturer. Um, Continental. Could be Michelin. Do they do or Michelin? Do they do? We have had Michelin before. Yeah, and I have had their tyres on a bike. Dunlop. Everyone's yeah. had Dunlop tyres on a bike. But and Dunlop shoes. We all had Dunlop shoes, didn't we? Green yeah, flash. Yeah. Green, green flash. flash. Yeah. But I'd, Dun- I'd still rock a pair of green flash if I saw them. You can still get them. Yeah. But I think Dunlop have been around a lot longer than nineteen since nineteen twenty. Okay. I played a part in Michael uh, Valiant. Is that a guy? I think that's what it says. Valiant's career. I don't know who he is. He sounds brave. He's yeah, probably like, done like... something related to motorsport between 1920 and 2019. It sounds like a cartoon character. He sounds like a knight of the realm. <laughs> <laughs> I have appeared... In a motion picture. I'd like a guess, please. Lots of tyres have appeared in motion pictures. Yep. I'll also say, this man said, do you not? Do you think this one is too hard? Oh, it was, no, sorry, no, he didn't. That was, that was a different one that I'm not doing this week. He actually said, do you think this one is too easy? 
No. My, my answer would be no. <laughs> I replied, yeah. no, mate. A paid in a motion picture. So we could be looking at uh, something like Grand Prix or Le Mans. Or Herbie Goes Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> just, just put it out there. <laughs> Aladdin. <laughs> the Lion King. <laughs> Circle of life, it's life, it's life circles round. Yep. I got nothing. When was Skoda formed? When was Skoda in a film? Oh, I'm sure there's been Skodas <laughs> in films. I believe the terminology was created, formed, will not be, uh, will not be accepted. They were in that really low budget remake, The Check Job. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a DVD called The Check Job. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> it's also followed no. up by check your bad self. <laughs> check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I have been involved in a wide range of motorsport, most notably endurance racing and Formula One. Don't throw your guesses at me all at once. <laughs> What he actually says. I was going to say, that's just you adding that on. I think per- Peugeot's still. Yep. I need a guess. Peugeot. Peugeot? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go Peugeot for this guess. I am still active in motorsports, amongst others, the VW Fun Cup. So, Volkswagen. <laughs> I also have a DVD called Fun Cup. <laughs> Probably not Peugeot. No, I'm not, guessing not. Not the VW Fun Cup. Maybe the fun is you get to drive something that isn't a VW. Uh, I I had fun driving my VWs till they fell apart. Our Skoda's made so, by VW these days. They are, but wasn't the Beetle designed like ridiculously early? Though I thought more 1930 than 1920. I would have thought so, yeah. Well, yeah, because Ferdinand Porsche designed the Volkswagen Beetle um, as a people's car. Because that's what yes. Volkswagen means. Yes. The, the Volkswagen, if you will. Yeah. So the Beetle might not be, not, might not be so stupid... As Herbie goes bananas, being the actual motion picture, yeah, which yeah, took part in. but I don't think 1920 is quite correct because that's far too early for the Beetle yeah. to be a Beetle. Did cars even have like roofs in 1920? Were they still all open topped? Mm, I'm going to have. I'm going to help this out. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I, I feel that Lee was trying to give us a clue there, but. I, I, <laughs> There was something subtle, but I don't know if we picked up on yeah. it. What's the next? What's the next question? I have experienced fifty-two fatalities in my motorsport career. I'm Peugeot, Maldonado. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peugeot had a lot of Group B crashes in in rallying, didn't they? Way back every, every Group B car crashed. Yeah, <laughs> not a car. Well, yeah, could we be looking not, at a circuit? A yeah, that's a possibility. Where, where do they hold the VW Fun Cup? <laughs> Where don't they? <laughs> Fun Cup can just go wherever it wants. Everyone mm. loves it. Uh, how old's the circuit door south? 
been a lot of fatalities at Le Mans. Bugatti circuit. That's what the that's, mo- that's what the MotoGP was on this weekend. But that's pretty old, isn't it? Hmm. We got another another clue. Last clue. Uh, I I played a big part in Jackie Stewart's crusade to improve safety. Nodge life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon. Because the Nodge life was um, would have been part of the movie Rush and Grand Prix and Grand Prix. Um, Fifty-two fatalities, possibly in motorsport only, because there have been plenty that haven't been motorsport related. And idiots who just think that they can drive as fast as they possibly can round corners that they can't. Um, it also spends an alarmingly large part of the year being closed so that they can remove penises from uh, the track that have been drawn there <laughs> before filming days. Uh, yeah, the Nord Slice sounds about right. You... Was its first foray into motorsport a failure? No idea. Let's assume it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Nurburgring or the Nordschleife, because because Jackie Stewart as well uh, had the uh, had all the drivers strike for one of the German Grand Prix in the seventies, didn't he? Didn't all of the drivers refused to go out until Armco barriers were put up in certain parts of the circuit yeah. where there were people just stood. Yeah, because you were either going to hit people or a tree. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon that's a good one. Yeah. Is that your final guess? I think it yes. is. I'm Spa. Spa? Oh. There, there was a Spaffer, but the problem with this Spaffer was it was it was an instant giveaway because it was. I'm famous for the, for the fact that I can be dry on one, on one side while wet on the other. Which which could still be the yeah. North Life. No, no, but Spa is. But, it's it's yeah, Spa's yeah. thing, isn't it? But that was a good one. That was a good one. You definitely yeah. you definitely got us on that room. Uh, how do you get a total shunt in? You can send me a PM on Twitter at a total shunt. Uh, if you're not on Twitter and you want to do one of these, I now use Instagram a lot more. So I'm on Instagram at a total shunt, so you can PM me on that as well. That's a lot of typing on your phone, because apparently you can't send PMs on a computer on Instagram. You can. Can you? Yeah. Oh. I obviously... Don't use Instagram on my PC, and anywhere close to enough. If you want to get a hold of the rest of us, you can get um, you get the general account, which is at Three Legs Four Wheels on Twitter, and individually, the rest of us are at Flood Twenty One, at Dan Dankleton, and at Pablo One Hundred. And Sean is at Sean Cowper. If you want to drop us an email for any reason, which a few people have, you can get us three legs four wheels at gmail.com. Um, messages on Facebook. If you go to um, facebook.com slash three legs four wheels, you'll find the page there. And just get a plug in for the extra Patreon show as well. Um, subscribe from as little as $1 a month. You get an extra show every week where we talk absolute rot. I think we're going to be talking absolute rot tonight. Um, about anything and everything not Formula One, and um, you can sign up by going to patreon.com slash three legs four wheels. Um, last thing is just a quick update on Formula Lee. It is Monaco in the dry in a Red Bull, and you have got until the Monday after the Monaco Grand Prix to get your times into us. Um, send them by direct message or any of those methods, or for anyone that's on uh, PlayStation, if you add uh, me as a friend, Pabstar. Then I'll be able to see your times on the leaderboard. I think that, that works. That about Sounds covers good. it for tonight, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, once again, huge thanks to Craig Scarborough for um, joining in with us and putting up with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just oh, being a general legend. Yeah. Yeah. Always a great show when he's on. And um, 
we'll be back next week and hopefully we'll have all uh, fallen asleep during Monaco. I'll watch out for the live blog at the weekend. It will be better than Spain. Who are you trying to convince? Everybody else or you? No, because at least Monaco still has that edge of danger where somebody can go into the wall at any moment. Spain was just dull. Yeah, fair point. Um, Right, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Ciao.